0: Uh, For those of you who are joining us uh, online, um, I would encourage you to consider maybe you haven't been back in person in part because of the age of your children. But this will be a great opportunity in June for you to try to uh, join us in person if that's your desire. But we do welcome those online and we're glad you're here with us uh, joining us today. Hebrews chapter 13, let's look to the word. As we begin in verse 10, closing our series this morning, just looking at this passage, we've been in Hebrews since the fall and excited to end here in verse 10. We're going to read from 10 through 16 this morning and focus our attention there. It says this, beginning in verse 10, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the body of those animals Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Lord, we ask that as we turn our attention to your word, that you would open our hearts and minds, not only to understand the meaning of the text, but Lord, that we would welcome your shepherding in our lives, that we would have ears to hear the ways in which you want to transform and challenge and change and encourage us today by your spirit. Lord, as we turn our attention to this living and active word, we trust you to do your work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, I can remember a little more than 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when Clint said he was going to plant a church in Dumfries. I'm not sure at that point, although I'd been living in the area for a really long time, that I'd ever been to Dumfries. It is the capital of Northern Virginia, as you know. But I thought, there's nothing in Dumfries. It's just a small little town that people skip on 95 as they head to Fredericksburg from Washington DC and I had lived in the area for seven years and I had never been here and um, and you know but I remember he began talking about everything that was going to be happening in Dumfries there was this this plan for building houses and uh, and building neighborhoods and much of what was behind Walmart was mostly trees and he said, that's gonna be a great place because there are thousands of houses, thousands of families, thousands of people coming to Dumfries. And I just couldn't believe it. Sixteen years later, he looks like a prophet. And you know, if you were to drive behind Walmart and go, it's continuing even now, they've been building over the last couple of years you know, thousands of newer houses and a school out there and two schools and there's all kinds of stuff in Potomac Shores and Southbridge grew and, and in many ways, as he was thinking about the future of that church, he was seeking and thinking about a city that was coming and not the one that was. You know, sometimes we are told in Scripture, in regards to us being able to be faithful to God with what he's called us to do, we have to live for the city that is coming rather than the one that is. And in fact, at the heart of this passage that we're looking at today is verse 14. He wants us to take this in deeply when he says, For here we have no lasting city, but... We seek the city that is to come. As the writer of Hebrews closes out his message for us, this is the idea that he's been bringing home to us, that we would lean in to seeking the city that is to come so that we can join those who have been faithful in the past in a life of faith. So here's the main point of this morning's message, if you take notes, this is what you're going to want to write down in your notes, that, we're, that this passage teaches us to join those who have been faithful and seek the city that is to come, because here we have no lasting city. Now, as I said, this is a summary of the message of the book of Hebrews that really brings it together for us. Here, let, let's just ask the question... What does he mean by the city? How are we supposed to seek the city today? And I want to show you that in two ways we see this in the book. The first is we can understand what he means here by the city and what it looks like for us to live in it. So the city is being used here, obviously, metaphorically. It's a picture. It's not just saying that we need to seek urban environments. The city is being used metaphorically to mean the center of life and culture. Now, I want you to think about the ancient world for a second. The city was the anchor for everything that happened in the surrounding area. It was the place of safety in times of war. It was the place of business and commerce and culture. And so the city is being used to, here, it represents the dominant trends of thought. The dominant trends of thought and the patterns of life that are central to the world around us. This is what he means by city. So think about what he says. He says the Christian life then, faithfulness in the Christian life is likened to orienting ourselves around the culture, either the culture of the city of man or around the culture of the city of God. And he says faithfulness looks like seeking the city of God while living in the city of man. That's what he wants us to understand. He wants us to live like there is a city that God is establishing whose builder and maker is God. Who is laying a foundation in squaring its values and gathering a people. Even while we live in the midst of a city that he says isn't going to last. In fact, if you were to turn back two chapters to Hebrews 11.10. Abraham in the hall of faith is described as living a life of faith this way. He says, it says, for he, Abraham, who was faithful was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and whose builder is God. So, so... Abraham's faithfulness was that he wasn't just living for what he could see here and now but he had Squared himself around the values of God's kingdom And he was living for that future promise and that future hope in the middle of the world that he was situated in It goes on then in Hebrews 11 13 through verse 14 to give us two pictures about what it looks like for us to do that What does it look like for us to seek the city? It says, these all died in faith, not only Abraham, but others like him, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged this about themselves. They acknowledged that their identity was that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people speak thus, who speak this way, make it clear that they're seeking That homeland. So he gives us two images that can help us think about our identity first and foremost as people who seek the city that is to come while living in the city of man. Did you notice the two phrases there in verses 13 and 14? Strangers and exiles. They're used to kind of come together to give us a picture of what our lives are and what our identities are if we are going to be faithful Christians. And listen to me, if you are going to be faithful to Jesus Christ in your life, living in this world, it is important that you understand these two identities. Listen, strangers and exiles, strangers here is the word xenos. Zenos is, is what we would translate foreigners or strangers. It, mean that, it means someone who lives in the middle of a culture that it, they don't really belong to. And so he says they, they, these people, the reason they were faithful to God and could seek the city that is to come, whose builder and maker is God, is because they realized that they were living in the midst of a culture that they didn't really belong to. This was not their home people. Their home values, their place of ultimate belonging. That's what that word stranger means. But notice he uses a second word that's translated in your Bibles as exiles. And that word exiles is parapodemoi, which means residence. Literally translated, it means the place they walk out their lives. And so it, get the picture here. He says, This is a people who realize that they don't belong here, but have learned, they're not just visitors who are leaving next. This is the place where they live and now learn to live out their calling as people seeking the city in the midst of a world where they don't belong. And so it gives us an amazing picture. And so it's, it's, a, it's a literary device called Hendiadus where there's not enough information just to say foreigners or strangers to really get it. And there's not enough information just to say residents. There's both this sense of not belonging In the sense of wanting to faithfully work out your calling because this is where you live. And so that's our calling as Christians. That we're to be strangers and exiles who are seeking a city that is to come in the midst of a world where we don't belong. And it's a great combo for the tension of living out our Christian faith. Listen brothers and sisters, if you are going to be faithful as a Christian, you need to realize you don't belong here. But this is where you're walking out your life. And we get some help thinking about this tension then as we look more deeply into this text in the second sort of vivid set of imagery that he uses then in the book of Hebrews to teach us about faithfulness. So how do we seek the city that is to come and live as strangers and exiles, as foreigners but residents in the world and live in that tension? How do we make sure that we remain faithful? Well, his answer, if I could have you look again in verse 13, is he says, Therefore, let us go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. If, you, if you, We're going to look at this closely in a second, but you'll notice that he uses the phrase outside the camp or outside the gate or outside the camp three times in this passage because he's really wanting us to think deeply about what that means About how we're to live in the midst of a world where we're seeking the city of God. We are people who belong outside the camp. This is the way I would say it. If we are going to seek the city that is to come. We will have to center our identity outside the camp. So that sense in which we don't belong in the cultures that we inhabit. And when I'm thinking about that, I'm not just talking about American culture, the culture of the world. I'm talking about our workplace culture, our family of origin culture. I'm talking about our neighborhood culture. I'm talking about the dominant trends around us are not places where we will find a fullness of belonging. In that we are to, we're to level with that and understand it. And we're to, we're to do what we can in communing with God to shift our center of identity outside the camp with Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to look at what that means. What does it mean for us to center our identity outside the camp? That's what he's talking about here. He says if you're going to be faithful in a world... That by and large, if we level with it, rejects God in many ways, you're going to have to center your identity outside the camp. So let's, let's try to figure out what that means. Um, let, me, let me try to illustrate this. Uh, you may not notice this, but your life is shaped by the place or group of people you most desire to be accepted by. And that's not just for the peer pressure that teenagers feel. But right now, you are being shaped most in your life by the group of people or the location or that sense of identity where you most want to be accepted. In fact, organizations do this, right? They create a culture and say, this is your identity. And and you want to rise to the occasion to belong in that place. And that culture and those values and those realities are shaping you if you desire to belong there. And so the dominant trends of our culture are designed to reinforce a sense of belonging of who is rightfully in and what is acceptable. And if you're not careful, you'll give yourself over to a culture that rejects God but will receive you if you join them in doing it. You're being shaped by the cultures around you where you want to be accepted. Now, here's kind of an interesting way to think about it have you ever had a friend that you knew for a while uh like i mean you really knew them you knew their hobbies like all their hobbies and their interests and you know that you, you knew what kind of things they liked to do with their free time the places they wished they could travel to and then they like went away or something maybe they went to college they joined the marine corps or they uh you know they went away for a while and uh And when they came back and you guys connected, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden they were talking about totally different random interests and hobbies. They'd become really interested in other things that they'd never even liked before. You know, they come back home and you're like, I didn't know you liked to paint. When did you start liking to paint? You know, and it's like, wait a minute. When did you ever say that you always wanted to go to France? France. You drink kombucha now? And after a little bit, you're like, oh, wait, I see what's happening. You fell in love. Right? You fell in love, and now all the things that they love, all of a sudden you love. Man, you used to be an Atlanta Braves fan, now you're rooting for the Cubs? And Maybe you've seen this before. I've seen it over and over again where somebody all of a sudden they fall in love and you know, then they want to be accepted in that like, family culture that's around that person and, and their interests and their desires. All of a sudden they begin to adopt those because they're, they're, that's, what, that's me now, right? And, and, you know, and, and maybe you've seen someone like that and maybe I'm talking about you and I just change the details. I get my ideas from all over the place. People who fall in love find themselves wanting to be accepted inside a new little culture of life of a different family or a set of friends, and it shapes them. We are shaped by the places where we desire to belong. And similarly here, the writer knows that the city you long to be a part of, that is the one that shapes you. And so he wants to be clear that if we are going to be faithful to Jesus, we are going to have to center our identity in seeking the city that is to come. And in the midst of the world, listen to what he says. That means centering our identity outside the camp. Outside the norms of the cultures around us. Look in the text. The idea is repeated for emphasis. In verse 10 and 11... He starts with what could feel like a little bit of a confusing kind of idea. He says, We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. He's speaking to these people who are being influenced by a system of Judaism that says, Don't, that Jesus is rejected. Come back. Come back. And he says, We've got a tent, we've got a different place of worship, we've got a different identity as Christians. That those who continue to go to that worship, worship devoid of Jesus, have no right to eat in. For the body of the animals in that system, whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, are burned outside the camp. It's rejected. But Jesus, he says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to do something else, not just to have their sins taken away, but to sanctify a people through his own blood. And so what he's saying is Jesus is better. He's the place of better belonging here because the Old Testament system could point to having our sins atoned for, but it couldn't draw us in and make us belong to the people of God. Not in the way that Jesus does it. And so, here in verse 10 and 11, he says, we not only get to have our sins atoned for, we get to gather around the table and eat. (laughs) Jesus gives gives himself to be consumed and be our place of familial identity and belonging. You belong around the table of God. We get to eat the food. So, Under the Old Testament law, though, I want to dig into this idea of outside the camp. Let me just take you on a journey through some Old Testament ideas. We're going to see it in three ways. What does outside the camp mean? Well, first of all, you need to know under the Old Testament law, the sacrifice was burned outside the camp. It was a picture of the judgment of God in that time on sin that had been transferred through confession on the lamb that was bearing the sacrifice. So outside the camp is a picture of throwing things away that have been rejected. So literally and metaphorically, outside the camp was where everything impure or rejected was placed. If you went through the Old Testament laws, in the Levitical law, that includes the clothing of someone who had skin diseases. They burned them outside the camp. Outside the camp was where the people who were sick at times were to stay to avoid the spread of disease. It's not a place of welcome, it's a place of rejection, brokenness, impurity. Interestingly, in the book of Joshua, even Rahab, who is the foreigner in Jericho, when she is rescued from Jericho, we are told that she comes and she lives outside the camp. She doesn't yet belong inside, even though she's been rescued in their sense. So outside the camp is not the place that you want to be. It's the place of rejection. So the writer of Hebrews wants us to take something from that. Seeing this symbolism collide then with Jesus' crucifixion, the writer says in verse 12, Jesus suffered outside the gate. He says, says, think about this. Jesus has already been rejected. He was was sent to the place of rejection at the cross. We understand that in the story of the crucifixion, that he carries his cross outside the city of Jerusalem, a good distance away, and he hauls that cross up on a hill, and there he's crucified with criminals who have been placed outside the camp. And it's a picture of how God saves us as a people. Our sin is imputed on Christ, and He becomes, he becomes the place of rejection where our sin that deserves to be punished, Jesus takes him to, to takes that sin on Himself, and He experiences a rejection even before God that we will never have to if we come to Him through faith. Jesus was rejected so that we could belong in the family of God, because He went outside. The camp. So here's at least part of the meaning. Jesus was crucified crucified in the place of the rejection our sin and brokenness really deserve in order to make us a part of a people that we could really belong to. You notice it says his purpose was in order to sanctify a people outside the camp of Jerusalem, of Israel, of the system of Judaism, a people for God who found that they could be united to God through faith because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ by grace alone. Listen, this is good news for all of us. If you feel broken and rejected, if you feel like you don't belong anywhere, if you feel like your sin has cut you off from God and cut you off from others, there is good news. Jesus gets it, and you can turn from your sin, go outside the camp, and always belong to him. He will bring you home. So that's at least part of the meaning, but this is not just a simple metaphor. It has at least three connected important meanings. I gave you one so far. It gets better and better. Listen. It's going to help us. Verse 13 helps us see the second way we're to understand outside the camp. Here's what it is. Following Jesus, being a Christian, living a life of faith, whatever terminology you want to use, faithfulness, it's a calling to go to Jesus outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Look at verse 13. That's what it says clearly. Therefore, because Jesus suffered outside the gate, Went to the place of rejection for us. Let us go to him now. Outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now what's that mean? Well here's the second meaning. Following Jesus means being willing to be rejected. By the primary culture of the world we live in. You know. There's this this idea. That Christians have. If we would just be good enough. Right, we'd finally be loving enough, the world would accept it. They'd accept the message that the, that the entire reason that the gospel is rejected is because we're not good enough. Right? And, and we feel the burden of it, right, to get it right, <laughs> to, to, to be gracious enough, to always be on our game, to be faithful enough, to be kind enough. And listen, I think we should feel the burden to, to live faithfully to Christ, But if we are under the perception that every time that somebody disagrees with the gospel or rejects the teaching of God's word, it's because we haven't been good enough, we are just foolish because we are looking at a crucified Savior who was sent outside the camp to die on a cross because of the teaching that he gave about God's love being available to the worst of sinners. He opposed the religious system and finds himself crucified. Listen, following Jesus, you can't follow Jesus faithfully without being willing to be rejected by the primary culture of the world we live in in the places where Jesus' teaching come into conflict with it. Let's erase any mirage that we have that we are going to somehow always be faithful enough and winsome enough that nobody's going to reject the teaching of Jesus, nobody's going to reject our life, disagree with us, or want us to be out of their life. Deep devotion to Jesus Christ and living for his kingdom is going to require you to identify with Jesus when the values of the world around us are at odds with him. If you're going to seek the city that is to come, you will have to center your identity outside the camp where Jesus was sent to shame. You're going to have to join him and bear that reproach with him. Now, we're not talking about being a Christian jerk we're not talking about being a christian jerk and people not liking you now listen i think a lot of times you know what people think passes as persecution or rejection is just our unwillingness to walk in the way of jesus coming back to the other side a bit for a moment we have no calling to go seeking rejection To create a sense of rejection because of our attitude. In fact, if we watch Jesus walk to that place outside the camp, we're reminded of a few things. As he's mocked, he's praying. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've wanted to take you under my wings. He's heartbroken as he bears it. He walks with a sense of humility. We find out that as as he's reviled, he does not speak back in return. He just continues to go on being faithful to God, being willing to sacrifice and offer him himself and to speak the truth. We see that as he's crucified between two criminals and he's mocked there as a fraud, that he goes on and he finishes the work. We're not talking about a calling to be Christian jerks, but we are talking about living a prophetic kind of life that says we are not willing to live in sin or affirm what is sinful as though it's no big deal to God just to gain the benefits of social acceptance. So that's the second meaning. Following Jesus means we become willing to be rejected by the primary culture of the world that we live in. But it gets better than that. There's a third meaning this phrase outside the camp is intended to evoke in us. It's to prepare us To be faithful to God no matter what we face but there's a third really great thing we can see in Exodus chapter 33 uh, you can turn there if you want in a moment I'm going to refer to it I'll be glad to explain it out as clearly as I can but in Exodus 33 something terrible has happened God has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt he's made a covenant with them That they would be his people and he's called Moses to come commune with him on the mountain of Horeb to give him the law by which his people would live in communion with him. And when he came down from the mountain, Moses did, he was horrified to see that the people had quickly given up on the true and living God. That it brought them out of Egypt. And in a short amount of time they had melted down their gold. And they had made a golden calf as an idolatrous symbol of worship. And they were parading around this golden calf doing heinous things. Asking for it to bless them with fertility. And so they were worshipping this golden calf. Rejecting the true and living God who had done so much to them. Done so much for them. And something happens. Previously, God had ordered Moses to put this, this tent in the middle of the people where they would meet with God, where Moses would go in and represent them, but they would gather and worship and be reminded that God, not only had he brought them out of Egypt, he was dwelling in their midst. He was their God. They were his people. They were united together, and he was in the center of their life. But when, he comes, when Moses comes down from the mountain as a way of showing what the people had done, To God. He says Moses moved the tent outside the camp. And so God moves the tent outside the camp because he's a rejected God. (laughs) He's a rejected God. And and we find out that then in, in Exodus 33 that it became normal that those who really wanted to seek the face of God had to be willing to go outside the camp to commune with him rather than stay in. And so Moses, it says in verse 7 of Exodus 33, used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, each would stand at his door and watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud that was representative of God's presence would descend And stand at the entrance of the tent and listen. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent. And all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. This is what the writer of Hebrews wants you to hear. Because of what Jesus has done to go to our place of rejection, through his rejection, he has made outside the camp the place of communion with God. And in our experience... Of being willing to walk with God and go outside the camp to a rejected Jesus. That actually that is the place where for the first time we really experience the presence and the power of God. That that God's presence is available in a special way to those who are willing to be rejected by the city of man. And so he invites us. That means the invitation to go to Jesus outside the camp isn't an invitation to rejection alone. It's the willingness to no longer seek the acceptance of a culture that is fading and will fail so that we can experience the communion of the God who is eternal. And so... And so we are invited to go to the place of rejection and for the first time, in a face-to-face way, look into the image of God and realize that God gathers a rejected people to make them his own and we get to be with him face-to-face. Outside the camp with Jesus is where we're invited to go. Being willing, though, to bear rejection with him we are really going then to the place where we can find true communion. Outside the camp with Jesus is where we can have the noise of the city and its demands turned off so that we can really know God and understand what matters. And listen, when we've when we've gone to Jesus outside the camp, we know how we can come back and walk in the midst of the world. You see, some of us, some of us have got it backwards. We've decided little, very little. That we are in need of communion with God and we're busy trying to live out this calling in the midst of the world and we don't even know what it looks like to be faithful. And we haven't felt the deep sense of acceptance that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you without that, the pressures and the invitations and the rejection will get to you to the point that you will compromise everything just so you can be accepted by a people that don't care about you. These three related symbols. In Jesus, we find community for people who deserve rejection because of their sin. We face the conflict of who is really our Lord outside the camp. And we experience communion with God, who himself was put outside the camp. But there, gathered a people. A people rejected, but who could belong. A couple applications as we close. Let's think about this Practically. How do we respond? Well, the first thing I would say from the text is that some of us need to respond today by decisively committing personally and publicly to Jesus. Committing personally and publicly to Jesus. Maybe for a while you've been drifting under the radar, kind of sort of exploring Christ, acknowledging Jesus. Other people in your life don't really see much of a difference. You don't identify in your values, in your words, in your identity with Jesus. But there comes a point in time where we have to decide that we belong decisively to him. Notice he says that the result of centering our identity outside the camp is that we become more likely to speak his name. So one way that you could actually measure where your identity is currently located, whether you've centered your identity outside the camp, is to ask, how often in the midst of the world am I willing to speak the name of Jesus as my hope and help in every situation, no matter who's there? You see, because he says there's a sacrifice of praise that we offer outside the camp, there's a sacrifice of praise that we come to have, and it's the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You see, that means we acknowledge his name in the things we hope for. That means we acknowledge his name in the things that we've received. We acknowledge his name in our resources. We acknowledge his name in our friendships. We acknowledge his name in our aspirations. And everything becomes centered around seeking that city where Jesus' name is the name that is written and praised, and, and everybody gathers around and rejoices. He's our hope, He's our help, He's our identity. The biggest thing that will keep you from confidently sharing your faith with others is being ashamed and embarrassed to be associated with Christ. I think think we need to let that just sink in for a moment. I mean, maybe here, inside this camp, (laughs) you find it easy to identify with Jesus. That's good. But be able to see how deeply our our real identity is rooted in our sense of belonging to God we have to ask when, when we're not surrounded when we're not here how much do we speak of his name how central is God to the decisions you're making to the way you look at your life to the relationships that you have some of us here today need to make a definite decision to trust your lives to Christ, to publicly identify with Christ through baptism. To, today to decide that you are going to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ in a way that you don't care if others know about it, understand it, or confused about it, but you want to be faithful to Jesus Christ who has died for you and has taken the rejection that you deserve so that you could belong to God. You need to, you need to make, that, make today a day of consecration before God. You need to seek baptism and identify with his body and be a part of publicly walking out your faith despite the, despite the fact that the spirit of the age would tell you, you can just go ahead and do that privately and secretly. I've never seen a thriving Christian who doesn't publicly belong to Jesus and join God's people regularly in worship. And the mission of the gospel. And is willing to be identified with him. Some of you are falling for the lie. That you can be a Christian double agent. You're going to gain all the acceptance by the world around you. So that you can influence them for Christ. When all that is really happening is you're compromising every time. And never speak of Jesus. So committing personally and publicly to Jesus is part of our act of worship. He says it's a valuable, deep Act act of worship for us to name the name of Jesus, to learn to speak of Jesus and the opportunities that God gives us. The second is the second thing we need to do if we're going to practically live this out is commune with God when we experience rejection. Now, rejection is very subtle, but here's what I mean. Most of us, when we experience rejection, we experience it as a hard thing. I think all of us do. We have a longing to be accepted, it's part of how God has made us. We were made to belong. With confidence and you might struggle as you experience rejection if if it means identifying with christ and if you're not careful you will give up quickly in those situations but listen going to jesus outside the camp means going and communing with god when we feel the sting of rejection what do you do when you feel rejected because of your faith what do you do when you've taken the risk to speak of jesus and it hasn't gone well What do you do when you've just decided to live faithfully and somebody thought it was odd or you've been ostracized because of it or pushed out of the center of a social group? What do you do in those moments? Well, we need to learn to sit with God in our life and get clarity about what is good and right in his eyes and there experience the depth of the belonging to God that we have in the gospel. Until that becomes rich to us, we won't be ready to experience the rejection we might face in the world. And so when you feel that sting of rejection, here's the beautiful thing, God knows what it feels like. Jesus Christ experienced the depth of our rejection, a rejection that we can never feel. And, And so guess what? We can draw near to him and experience grace in our time of need. The thing that will change your life significantly in identifying with Christ is when you begin to process your sense of rejection and your boldness at the throne of grace where Jesus says, I understand. Where you take that, that attempt you made to speak of Jesus and you felt like you failed and you come back and you say, God, I, just, I tried and I, I feel like I fell on my face. And he says, it's all right, listen, come here. And you experience the sense of grace. Your heart becomes established in your grace and you realize that God hasn't given you acceptance on the basis of your performance, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, he draws you near and it deepens your identity that outside the camp is where you belong. And the next time you come you you come with a greater boldness and clarity and preparedness until it's normal for in the midst of this life just to seek the city seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and trust that all these other things will be added unto him we're susceptible to being shaped by those who reject god i just want us to hear that and here is why we need to commune with god and gain clarity about what is right from god's word because there is a rebellious sort of way Of rejecting God that can influence us. Those who just want to plunge us into sin. But there's also a religious sort of rejecting God. That can influence us. You know one of the most dangerous things. uh, To real faithful Christianity. Is mediocre Christianity. And maybe you've seen it actually. That one of the hardest places. To live with a devotion. To Jesus Christ. Is in the midst of a people. Who are kind of willing to mention his name. But never be identified with him. When it's hard. And so, what we need to understand is there's a religious way. In fact, Jesus was rejected not by a secular system, but by a religious system that said, You're going too far about what God really offers. That's too radical of a call. That kind of faithfulness, you know, maybe you've been a part of the conversation. You know, I'm glad you're excited about Jesus. Maybe you ought to tone it down a little bit. Maybe all that passion is just a little, you're making it uncomfortable for me. To call myself a Christian. When I look at how you are. And the biggest danger. To faithful Christianity. Is mediocre Christianity. Let me tell you. I, I just want to say this. And, and it's not just. It's every time. Place and culture. We have to. Think deeply. About whether we'll be aligned. To God's word. Or else the prevailing. Secular and religious culture. Will pollute us. In such a way. That we won't remain faithful. Let me just. Let me just point one one example out you know in the south in the 1800s to be faithful to god's word would have meant rejecting the if you were white the rejecting the financial benefits of a system of slavery because god says that mankind is all created in his image god's word was clear about it but there were a lot of religious people who were benefiting from the system who shielded over god's word so that there wouldn't be clarity and so that people wouldn't know of the freedom that they deserved That means there were a lot of Christians who bought that lie and perpetuated that lie and did great damage to people's lives because they were influenced by a religious system that was Christian in name only when the gospel was clear. Brothers and sisters, we must commune with God or we will find ourselves appropriating the culture that we live in rather than the truth of this city that we are seeking, where God has gathered a people from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue around his throne through the shed blood of Jesus to make them free to worship the Lamb. Lastly, we need to care for one another's needs. Look what it says in the last verse. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. There's a sense of community here. Listen, practically speaking, that means if we are going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are urged to create a community where faithfulness to Christ is what is in. That right here actually what we're to do is create a community where faithfulness to Christ is what is in no matter the cost no matter the difficulty we must have each other's back and help one another at times when we feel the cost most deeply so we create a sense of belonging for those who are seeking to be faithful to God we create a place of provision for those who are experiencing loss because of their faithfulness to God we create a place of family for those who've been disenfranchised we care for one another's needs practically because naming the name of Jesus and living faithfully is a costly sacrifice that we want to celebrate together and that this community would be a place where we reinforce that rather than reject it all of this is such good news listen no matter who you are and where you've been the rejection you've experienced or the rejection you deserve because of the decisions that you've made God invites us to go to Jesus outside the camp. He's experienced the rejection that we deserved so that we could experience the freedom of belonging to the people of God. And in a moment, we're gonna receive the Lord's Supper. We're gonna take the bread and we're gonna take the cup and we're gonna celebrate that testimony together that we are a people of God gathered outside the camp, willing to be faithful because Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed He was rejected so that we could be received. Now this testimony is a serious testimony... And so we want only those gathered with us who have turned from their sin and put their faith in the Lord Jesus to take this bread and the cup and share in us remembering. In a moment we're going to have a time of reflection. And that time of reflection is for all of us to consider the truths of God's word. And maybe today during that time you need to respond to God and ask for him to come into your life through faith. And, And you need to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you're not a Christian you don't share this testimony we would ask that you don't participate in taking the bread and the cup with us but as we go through that you would hear the truth of this proclamation that we have a hope where we can be received together and you can have that hope because of the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Let's pray and I'm going to have the worship team come back up and we're going to receive this testimony and rejoice and celebrate together. Lord Jesus we thank you for your love for us Lord and right now I pray that all across this room as we consider these words as we look to the hope of the gospel Lord would you root us in our identity as your family or would you cause us to feel the deep sense of belonging that you've created for us in that place of rejection so that we would be confident to be faithful to you no matter the cost would you come now and even commune with us as we consider our lives, as we confess our sin, as we look and ask for strength to be faithful. We rejoice in your love for us. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.